following audio is from River City Baptist Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at rivercityrichmond.org. For the director of music, with strings, instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Good morning. My name is Andy Pettigrew, and I'm a member here at River City Baptist Church. The lovely reading of Scripture was my wife. Well done. We will be in Psalm 67. You can, go, you can turn with me in your Bibles there. You can also find it on your service guide. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to live in a number of different cultures and study different languages. And one of the fun things about learning different cultures, learning languages, is actually discovering the different idioms um, or the different phrases that, that actually only have meaning just for that local context. We have these here in the U.S. I, I'm from the South, namely Tennessee, and can attest that we have a lot of these. Growing up, I would say things like, uh, Dad, I, I'm, I'm fixing to go to my friend's house. Is that okay? To which he would respond, well, I, I reckon that'll be okay. Using words like fixing to or reckon made complete sense in our home. And some of you are like, what's, what's wrong with that? I don't, I don't get the problem with it. In a Southern culture, that actually may make sense, but to an outsider may be very confusing since those words actually have a very different dictionary meaning. And one way to expose your use of idioms is actually to try to learn a different language and you suddenly realize that the way that you naturally express yourself doesn't translate in that culture or in that language. We could go on and on with words or phrases that have specific cultural meanings like hill of beans, fly off the handle, doohickey. How about this one? Give me some sugar. That's a fun one. Or one that I commit never to use is cattywampus. I don't even, I don't even understand that word. I have heard it. I don't use it. And if you ever hear me use it, you have permission to rebuke me. <laughs> Yet the one that is most common that has the widest variety of meaning is bless your heart. Bless your heart could be meant as a form of appreciation for someone who does something for you. Oh, bless your heart. You didn't have to do that. Or it could be a statement of sympathy towards someone going through a difficult time. I, I heard that little Tommy was sick. Oh, bless his heart. It could also be used, though, as an insult for someone you believe to be misguided or ignorant. Well, bless their hearts. I told them I wanted 20 packets of Chick-fil-A sauce, but they only put seven in my bag. I think you can get the point. Unfortunately, this, along with social media's perpetuation of hashtag blessed, deteriorates this word and the thing for which we are to ask God according to Psalm 67. Again, blessing has been tainted in such a way that we often miss the full meaning of the word. For that reason, churches, 
Other religions and even the non-religious ask for blessing, but the meaning behind the request is actually quite complex. We will be studying Psalm 67 this morning. If you want to turn there, just head to the middle of your Bible and look for Psalm 67. For this psalm, it is correct to read this as a prayer, a prayer for blessing. But it is my hope this morning that we see blessing through God's eyes and understand His desire behind granting blessing and the Father's intended outcome for the church. But let's set this psalm up first. Now, most of the Hebrew psalms should be seen as a song or poetry. It actually says that in the heading there. For that reason, it's important not to just pull out one verse or phrase and dissect its individual meaning, but to see the whole flow of the psalm as expressing truth. Psalms often have what is called a chiastic structure, which means the structure of the psalm has a, a kind of a creative way to carry its point, the way that it's structured, which is going to provide the meaning of the text this morning, which will be the substance of the sermon, I pray. But as we walk through the psalm this morning, I, I need to offer a bit of a warning. Uh, have any of you played Legends of Zelda Breath of the Wild? Now, I, I know not to address that just to kids in this congregation. Um, and I confess this morning that I've never played it, but I do appreciate its art and its beauty. Well, my, my son Wesley has played it and tells me that his favorite part is being able to actually expand upon the story by exploring the world within the story to discover more. You may choose to open a door and uh, several more may open or climb a mountain or explore various areas to see the story in greater depth. So that's what we're going to do today in Psalm 67. We're going to double click on certain words. We're going to look at phrases because although Psalm 67, I believe, has a simple and clear message it is incredibly rich with meaning, with the pages of Scripture really intertwined throughout the song. So, the warning for us this morning is that we will be in many places throughout the Bible, so you can choose to follow along with me and try to find all of those different places, but it's totally, totally okay if you want to sit there and listen along. But we will be all over the Bible today as we explore this psalm together. Here's what I believe to be the main idea of the text. God graciously blesses His church, expecting praise from His people towards displaying Christ's kingly rule among all nations. Again, God graciously blesses His church, expecting praise from His people towards displaying Christ's kingly rule among all nations. And our outline, which follows the structure of the psalm, provides us with three main headings. The first, God's gracious blessing. We see this in verses 1 and 2 and then repeated in closing in verses 6 and 7. The two verses that encircle the main thrust of the text are found in verses 3 and 5 under the heading we will use God's deserved praise. And in verse 4, we find God's kingdom purpose, which is the primary target of the verse and can be seen throughout the psalm. So God's gracious blessing, God's deserved praise, and God's kingdom purpose. So, what is a blessing? First of all, when we read verses 1 and 2, it's important that we know that it is not an uncommon prayer, a blessing. The listeners of this psalm would likely have recognized it from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 and 25. You can turn there if you like, which is the blessing first given by Aaron the high priest and declared to be the blessing the priest would bestow upon the Israelites. So listen to these verses. Numbers chapter 6, I'm actually going to begin in verse 22. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you 
and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. I stated in my introduction, we often get this word blessing wrong. We immediately think of those gifts or good things that happened in our life. Wow, I'm blessed. Yet the root of the Hebrew word for blessing here actually means to kneel. To be blessed is to be brought to our knees in humble submission, recognizing that God is all we need. When we ask for blessing, we ask for eyes to see that He loves us, is pursuing our good, and that He is enough. So it's very tempting for us to declare that we are blessed and we recognize we have a roof over our heads, we have food on the tables, we have a steady income, we have good health, and sometimes we think that we are even more blessed when we have those things in abundance. Now, it's really good and and right to see the kindness and generosity of God in that, which we will see later. But true blessing resembles more of a happy widow who grieves with hope rather than a happy family whose Disney World vacation finally came true. Does that definition mean then that we pray that we can be put in a constant state of humility, bearing the rags of righteousness and walking around with sackcloth and ashes saying, woe is me. No, like in the high priestly prayer in Numbers, this prayer for blessing accompanies a a request that His face shine upon us. For it is in our most humble position that we see His most glorious provision. I want us to look at the richness of His blessing, but before we do, I think it's important for us to see who it is that receives this blessing. First of all, this prayer for blessing is an extension of God's blessing for Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. If you were Sunday school this morning, you would see a lot of that coming out. In these verses, God says to Abram, I will bless you and make your name great, and all families of the earth will be blessed through you. As Moses leads the Israelites, we see the blessing of Abraham being fulfilled in the descendants in his high priestly prayer that we read earlier in Numbers chapter 6. Going back there, if you're still there, look at verse 27. He says, So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. That name meaning God. God places his holy name upon the Israelites to show himself to the nations. This is why we see in Ezekiel 36 that even though the Israelites disobeyed God, he does a work through them for the sake of his name among the nations. I want to read these verses. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 and 23. Listen to these words. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes." So we see that God puts the name, his name, on Israel for his purpose of declaring his greatness among the nations. How do we see this fulfilled? Look at Galatians chapter 3, or listen along. Galatians chapter 3. I know we are all over the Bible. I warned you, though. 
Um, And it's so good because this is so rich. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. I want us to see ultimately this blessing for God's people is fulfilled in Christ. So what Paul, when Paul writes to the church in Galatia, he says this in verses 6 through 9, Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So, those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. I'm going to skip down to verse 14. He redeemed us, namely Christ, redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. If you're in Galatians, stay there just a second. The blessing of Abraham comes to all who are in Christ. And that truth is really important for us to understand. So I want us to look now at the fullness of this blessing in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I said stay in Galatians if you're there because you just need to turn a few pages over. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Remember, we're talking about the blessing. Ephesians 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Those who are in Christ, who have been transformed by the gospel, have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have every spiritual blessing we need in Christ because Christ has fulfilled the promise made to Abraham. Therefore, everyone in Christ receives the promise, the blessing of Abraham. If you want... Maybe put your service guide in Ephesians because we're going to come back to it. But I do want us to go back to our text, Psalm 67. As we're building upon this understanding of blessing, based on what we understand in Psalm 67, we, we are seeking to understand what it means to pray for the blessings of God. And as we do so, I want us to ask, what does a blessed person actually look like? Here in Psalm 67... The, the initial prayer is a request that God would be gracious to us and bless us. And since the word graciousness means favor or forgiveness, we know that the blessed person is the one receiving the mercy of God. Quoting Psalm 32, Paul reminds the church in Rome that blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count as sin. That's in Romans 4. Psalm 84.12 says that the one who trusts in God is blessed. The psalmist writes in Psalm 112.1 that the one who fears the Lord and delights in his command is blessed. Psalm 34.8, we read that the one who is blessed takes refuge in the Lord. Psalm 94.12 even remarks that the one who is disciplined by God is blessed. Psalm 1 describes this person as the one who meditates day and night on God's word and is righteous. What about what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are the meek or the poor or the persecuted. Or James 1.12 that says blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. The blessed person in these verses does not sound like someone feasting on the delicacies this life has to offer, but the beauty of all that God offers us in Christ. That's what it means to be blessed. Ephesians 1. I said hold on there because I want us to see real quickly 
kind of the fullness, when it says we have every spiritual blessing in Christ, what does that actually mean? Paul elaborates on the spiritual blessing by saying that we are chosen in Christ, verse 3. We are adopted, verse 5. We have redemption through His blood, verse 7. Forgiveness, verse 8. And the richness of His grace lavished upon us, again in verse 8. Ultimately, it is the people of God who are the blessed of God. So when we ask for blessing, here it is, we're asking for favor and salvation. That's why we ask God to be gracious to us. This is solidified even more when requesting for His face to shine upon us. Now, what does that mean, asking for God's face to shine upon us? God's face is a metaphor for His presence. When He hides His face, He withdraws His presence, as we see in Psalm 44. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9 state that those who do not obey the gospel of God will suffer eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Psalm 67 asks God for His gracious blessing as a recognition of our need for God and His provision of salvation. The only way to be in God's presence is through Christ. In these verses we read earlier in Galatians 3, we see that Jesus became a curse for us by being hanged on a tree. Jesus took the punishment we deserve for our sin and rose again three days later, offering life to all who would trust Him, trust Him for blessing rather than themselves. Jesus became a curse opposite of blessing. Jesus became a curse in His death so that we might have a blessing in His life. So when we think about blessing, that is the blessing that we desire. That is the blessing for which we pray. So now that we've understood the blessing a bit more, why do we ask for it? Why does the psalmist say, may God be gracious to us and bless us? And even more, why does God even grant blessing? Which brings us to our second heading, God's deserved praise. Verse 3 is the overflow of God's provision. The obvious response to God's gracious blessing, His undeserved favor in our lives, is praise. Kids, what's your natural response when you hear that school's been canceled? It's praise, it's celebration. Students, when you hear, what's your natural response when you hear a test has been canceled or you receive an extension on your paper? You rejoice. Thank you for that example. It's awesome. Kids, have you ever heard your parents say, praise the Lord, when something amazing has happened? I know I did growing up. I remember even being in a car accident and my mom praising the Lord in that moment. It was confusing to me at the time, but in later years, I've I've understood it a bit more. Because it's natural to rejoice when something great happens, and when you rest in a sovereign God, you also rejoice even when things difficult happen. It is a natural overflow of praise to God when we truly know His divine goodness. This prayer for us in Psalm 67 draws our attention to the need for all peoples to praise the Lord. But we pray for His saving power. Look at verse 2. that We pray that His, his ways may be known on earth, His salvation among all nations. We pray for His saving power to be known because not all peoples on the earth Praise the Lord. Research tells us that there are over 3,000 unengaged, unreached people groups around the world. 
An unengaged, unreached people group is one of those peoples this psalm considers. It is an ethno-linguistic tribe or nation that is unreached, meaning it has little to no gospel presence among them. And it is unengaged, meaning as far as we know, there is no one seeking to reach them. In other words, they do not praise God because they have not yet experienced the blessing of God, His face shining upon them, or experiencing His saving power. Less than three weeks ago, I pushed my way through a crowd in the city of Mumbai on a narrow concrete path with the ocean on both sides of me to see a tomb positioned at the base of a mosque that stands on a jetted out inlet. I stood on a flight of stairs watching as literally thousands of people walked the stairs towards, hit, towards this tomb to pray to a Muslim priest who hundreds of years before had been lost at sea and reportedly resurfaced at that spot. Most believe Allah sent him back to the rock, and so travelers will come from miles and miles to offer prayers and sacrifices, because to do so will give you what they believe life-giving power. This is praise, but not to the one true God. The next day, I was dropped off at an intersection because the driver could go no further on account of another crowd. Thousands and thousands of people were buying beautiful, colorful flowers. Pause for a second. If you all have ever been to the children's area, you'll see a picture, a very big picture on the wall there with beautiful, colorful flowers. So you can picture that when I'm talking about this in a minute. So thousands and thousands, literally, of people were buying these beautiful, colorful flowers, as well as boxes of fruits, as they clamored to enter the temple of Ganesh, the god or idol with an head of an elephant. They would remove their shoes and pass in single file to a priest who would receive their sacrifice of flowers, place a red dot on their head, and prepare the devotee to kneel and offer their prayers to this idol. This too is praise, but not to the one true God. In Psalm 67 too, the psalmist cries out for the ways of God and his saving power to be known in all the earth. This prayer for salvation was a prayer that stretches beyond the Israelites, beyond God's chosen people. In fact, that was always God's plan. When God made the promise to Abraham, he said that he would bless him and that all the families of the earth would be blessed. That phrase, families of the earth, is the same type of language we find in Psalm 67, verse 3. In verse 2, the prayer is for all the earth. In verse 3, the prayer is that all peoples would praise God. And that word, all peoples, is very specific, and it's important that we grasp this. It's not just talking about Gentiles, a.k.a. non-Jews, although that is the general application. The Hebrew word for peoples or nations indicates specific people groups, tribes with distinct languages and culture. So in verse 3, the praise of God is not just intended for the Israelites, but all people groups. So it's important for us to stop for a second and ask, what is our purpose in this truth? And that brings us to our last heading, God's kingdom purpose. Another way to preach this psalm is simply to focus on verse 4. The surrounding verses point to and hang on to this verse. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. 
for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations upon earth. I'm glad we had that like thunder roll right when I read that verse. <clears throat> Thanks, Beard. It's understood that all nations should be glad. To be glad is to rejoice, be happy in God. Interestingly, the word blessed is often translated as happy. This word for glad echoes the prayer for all peoples to praise the Lord. In verse 4, we also see a reason to pray that the nations rejoice. The answer? Because God is king. Look at the end of the verse. Let the nations be glad, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations upon earth. From Genesis to Revelation, in other words, the entirety of the Scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, the connecting thread of Scripture is God's kingdom activity in all the earth. So, let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. After God said that He created man in His own image, verse 26, there are two other notable characteristics that are important. The first is that God gives them dominion. The term dominion in Hebrew is a word associated with power and authority. Getting to the point, God makes man a vice regent to represent God as king. We see this again in verses, verse 28. God blessed them and, and, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Hang on to that word, subdue. Because I want now to look at Genesis chapter 3. I want us to see quickly the real root of Adam and Eve's sin in Genesis 3. Genesis chapter 3 verse 5, Satan's temptation is actually that they become more like God. Look at verse 5. For God knows, this is the serpent speaking to Eve. You will not surely die, verse 4. I'm going to back up. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Again, Satan's temptation is that they become more like God. In other words, he draws their attention to the reality that they have power, recognizing, hey, you have power, but you don't have ultimate power like God. So the enemy tempts them to seek ultimate dominion. When God created man and woman in his image, he intended for them to remain subject and to display the greatness of the one upon whom they are dependent. In other words, here it is. In other words, God blessed them to be a blessing in all the earth. Sound familiar? It shows us that, that the blessing of Abraham stretches all the way back to the beginning of, of creation. Yet because of sin, Adam and Eve failed in carrying out God's mandate to exercise dominion and fill the earth with his glory. We do, though, get a glimmer of hope to Eve in Genesis 3.15 that from the seed of a woman, the head of the serpent will be crushed by a future king. Spoiler alert, that future king is Jesus. Now, the second notable characteristic, as I just read, is God, of God's creation is that he gave them a command to subdue the earth. This means that God applies his dominion and his representational rule through mankind. Now, hang with me for a second. This is super important because the word subdue is actually a term related to a king conquering territories or kingdoms. God's purpose for mankind was to fill the earth with his image so that his glory fill the earth. That's what he's doing here. In other words, God blessed his people to bring about his kingly purposes among all nations. Now let's fast forward 
and see how God fulfills his plan for Adam and Jesus. Let's look at a verse that, a familiar verse that I believe really echoes Psalm 67, found in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In verse 18, Jesus declares, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This means that Jesus fulfills and embodies the dominion of a king. Jesus, in his holy perfection, did what sinful Adam could not. But look at what happens in verse 19. As Jesus declared his supreme authority, he bestows that authority on mankind when he echoes the command to subdue the earth by commanding his followers to make disciples of all nations. Like God's commission to Adam and Eve in the garden, Jesus commissions a new creation. Now listen to the commission in verse 20. Jesus says right at the end, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, God promises his face to shine upon them, his presence to be with them, us, his presence to be with us always as we carry out the blessing of God among all nations. So like we see in Psalm 67, God will bless his people to bring about his kingdom purposes. He wants salvation known among all nations so that right praise of him is throughout the whole world and that through his church, God's kingdom fills the earth. But look closely back at Psalm 67 and we're going to stay in Psalm 67 the rest of the time. So if, you're, if you've been playing with your Bibles this whole time. You can camp out for just a second. I want us to see the transition from verses 1 to verse 2. We pray that God's gracious blessing and divine face would shine upon us so that, so that your ways may be known on earth. Another, translate, another way of looking at that or translating that is in order to or so that, or as application of, in other words, God blesses his people and gives them global responsibility. So how does he intend for his people to carry out his task? Now, besides giving us everything we need in spiritual blessing, we can't miss the part of the psalm that could stick out like a sore thumb. Verse 4 seems to not flow with the rest of the psalm, but it does. It says, then the land will yield its harvest. What does that mean? Well, it's not the one side note in the psalm that gives us um, permission to pray for physical blessing. Rather, it's the one glaring note that says God provides physical blessings to carry out his divine purposes. In Deuteronomy 28, we read that one manifestation of God's blessing is abundant crops for the people of God so that they could obey his commands. So in verse 4, we see a specific prayer for the land to bear abundant fruit for God's people to carry out his blessing among all nations. I remember a number of years ago hearing John Piper preach on Psalm 67 and having an aha moment when he got to this verse in particular because there's a temptation 
to think when applying these verses that every one of us needs to sell all that we have and go serve as missionaries overseas. For some of you, that's true. Let's talk. But not all of you, and we recognize that. There is a global purpose for which we must live our lives, including reaching the nations, even here in Richmond. But I believe this verse highlights a specific focus for God's provision. So I want to read a quote from that message that I heard from John Piper. Piper states, The pervasive concern for the nations is that they would know and praise and enjoy and fear the true God, God himself. This means that, at least, God gives his people material wealth for the sake of the world's spiritual worship. That is, he blesses his church with riches for the sake of reaching the nations. He gives a bountiful wheat harvest for the sake of a bountiful world harvest. He gives us more money than we need so that we can meet the world's greatest need, the need to know God through Jesus Christ. In our short one-year history as RCBC, River City Baptist Church, we have already seen God's bountiful harvest. And it's important for us to keep Psalms like Psalm 67 in our hearts and minds as we steward His provision for His purposes. Spurgeon writes that the purpose of God's blessing is not selfish enjoyment of His love by His people. Rather, all the blessings of God are tokens of His presence and favor so that the nations may know His way. So what is our response to these truths? In this room, there are basically two types of people, Christians and non-Christians, those that have repented of their sins and placed their faith in the hope of Jesus alone for salvation, and those who have been trying to solve their problems on their own, maybe, and finding the blessing of salvation outside of Jesus If you are not a follower of Christ today, of Jesus, the application for you is to turn from your sins and place your faith in Jesus, who paid the death you deserve to offer you true life that you desperately need. And I plead with you today to turn from your sins and place your faith in Christ to receive true blessing that is eternal. And if that's you, you're wrestling with these things, I'll be here after the service if you want to talk to me. Matt, our lead pastor, will be at the back door, or you can talk to one of your Christian neighbors here. We would love to talk to you about how you can make that a reality in your life, and I plead with you, do that today. But for the church, those of us following Jesus, I want you to see another common thread throughout the psalm. It's the first person plural pronoun. Look at this. May God be gracious to us. You see it? This psalm is corporate in nature. This is a prayer for the church to see the blessings of God, praise Him, and then carry out His kingdom purposes. I appreciate an insight uh, from Michael Wilcock in his commentary on Psalm 67. He highlights a song written in the 20th century called Shine, Jesus, Shine. You guys remember that song? Perhaps many of you know it. Maybe you've sung it, maybe at a missions conference or something. But listen to what Wilcock says. Lord, the light of your love is shining, sings a 20th century psalmist, Graham Kendrick. Shine, Jesus, shine. Fill this land with the Father's glory. Isaac Watts actually versified this psalm in a similar way back in 1707. Shine, mighty God, on Britain, shine. These are worthy prayers, but they are not what Psalm 67 is about. The 1834 version by Henry Light got to the point, God of mercy, God of grace, Show the brightness of thy face. Shine upon us, Savior. Shine. Fill thy church with light divine. 
It is when the people of God, not the land, are alight with joy and praise and are themselves ruled and guided by him that his ways and his salvation will be known among the peoples around. So let me close with two application questions. The first one, what are you doing in your life intentionally to see the worship of God among every nation, tribe, people, and language? In Revelation 5 that was read earlier, we see the eternal reign of Christ bought by his blood will be among every nation. We see the same thing in Revelation 7, 9, and 10. We see a vision for Christ's return among every nation, tribe, people, and language. We play a part in that mission. Three weeks ago, when I walked shoulder to shoulder through crowds of people devoted to false gods in a city of 25 million people, with virtually no one following Jesus, my natural prayer was, God, please send laborers to this harvest field so that these people groups will no longer offer empty prayers, but will declare songs of praise to God who desires, deserves, and demands to be praised, to be worshiped. So what is your role among peoples like this? The second application question, when the world looks at your life, do they see Christ? Even more, when the world The nations looks at this church, do they see Christ? For those who are church members, we have made a commitment to one another through a church covenant. For that reason, we also repeat the words of this covenant together on a regular basis to remind us of our gospel commitment and partnership together. In a way, we could see that covenant as a declaration of our commitment to this psalm. We recognize God's gracious blessing on our lives and commit to laboring together for unity, holiness, and love for God's divine purposes. And I want to remind us real quickly of a verse that we studied not too long ago when we were studying through the letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians 1.27. In that verse, Paul prays for the church to fight side by side for the faith of the gospel. He also writes that the church does this in partnership. And the word partnership in Greek is actually koinonia, where we get our, our word fellowship. Our life together as a church can, can result in more and more peoples around the world exchanging dead-end devotion for God-exalting praise. So one of the best ways you can carry out your application to this psalm is to play your part <laughs> And what God has called us to do as a church. God has called the local church. He has ordained the local church to carry out his divine mission. And the part we play is our commitment to our faithful attendance to the church. As we worship God corporately, labor for holiness diligently, love one another sacrificially, and advance God's missions faithfully from the heart of Virginia to the ends of the earth. And we desperately need one another to do this. So I hope the next time, bless their hearts, begins to form on your lips, that you will mean it for God's global purposes. May God bless us that the nations will sing for joy about the eternal King. Let's pray together. Father, in this moment, I pray that we have stewarded your text well. I pray that we have heard you clearly. And God, I pray right now, I plead right now that those in this room that are far from you, whose face you are not shining upon because they are far from you, 
Your presence is not with them because they are still in their sin. I pray that you would convict their hearts of their sin right now and help them to see their need for you. And for those of us in this room, the church, God, I pray that we would be faithful to carry out these truths. May we wrestle today with those questions. What is our part in carrying out your divine purposes among the nations? May we steward that well. Help us to see that. We commit ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen.